Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. I'm John McAlevey, your host and chief bloviator. Though this podcast is generally for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, it is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Today's episode will certainly do just that. Think of the quadcast as your 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. So we have reached the month of March. My how time flies when you're having fun or not, and you're just stuck in the house due to mounds of snow and ice outside, not to mention an ongoing worldwide pandemic for that matter. All kidding aside, on a personal front, there have been some positive developments. This past Saturday, I received my second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, and I'm happy to report that I have not grown a tail yet. In fact, I have had zero side effects. If anything, I feel better than I did before. I am thankful that I was able to receive this in a timely fashion and must give a tip of the cap to the Summit Medical Group for making the process easy, accessible, and efficient. Both times I went, the process was over almost before it even started. I hope everyone listening has either been vaccinated or is soon to be. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, my friends, and the world we once knew and lived in is within reach again. And on the work front, that job at Kessler that I have spoken about here in the past, that is beginning to pick up some steam as well. I have started working from home, formulating a list of peer mentors, veterans of SCIs who will serve as advocates for newly injured folks. Through listening, talking, laughing, offering, and commiserating, the hope is that we will help people come to grips with the new life that they are suddenly living. I am proud to be a part of the program and the team, and will keep you posted on our progress as we move along. I first became aware of my guest today through Instagram and Facebook. Over the course of uploading this podcast to social media, I started seeing a number of posts and videos aimed at the SCI community that were informative and thoughtful, so I began following their author, Jenny Smith. What I came to realize is that she is a force to be reckoned with. Jenny is a speaker, writer, advocate, YouTuber, and C67 spinal cord injury survivor. Her aptly named website, which is www.jennyrollson.com, is an amazing source of common sense information regarding all aspects of spinal cord injuries. And when I say all aspects, I mean it. You can pick up tips and tricks that will help you in the kitchen with her fun, quadly cooking segments. Listen to her previous appearances on other podcasts, and most importantly, watch any number of videos she has recorded for her YouTube channel, dealing with subjects ranging from how does a quad put in their contacts and get dressed in the morning to what is autonomic dysreflexia and how to manage bowel and bladder function following a catastrophic spinal cord injury. As you can hear and hopefully will see once you check out JennyRollsOn.com, her website is one-stop shopping for SCI survivors and their family members looking for information, suggestions, answers, inspiration, and above all, a light at the end of the tunnel. In her own words, Jenny is, quote, providing education, practical solutions, resources, and hope so people can live full and productive lives, end quote. Following this brief timeout from our good friends at Canine Companions for Independence, the quadcast rolls on with Jenny Rolls On, Jenny Smith. We'll be right back. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a Canine Companions for Independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability.
and we are back. Remember, you can find the Quadcast at Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. That's a number of ways to access my velvety tones, and I hope you take me up on the offer. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome in the aforementioned and freshly vaccinated Jenny Smith to the program. Jenny, good afternoon, and thank you so much for joining me. Good afternoon. Thank you. Oh, it's been a full day for you so far, I understand. It has. A little unexpected. A little unexpected. Absolutely. Well, there's no better spot to begin than at the beginning. So why don't we do just that? For those of us listeners that are not familiar with Jenny Smith, please tell us about where you grew up and some things that you were interested in as a young person. Well, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. I moved here when I was 11 years old. Prior to that, I lived in the suburbs of Chicago, and I was born outside of Washington, D.C., But growing up from the time I was three years old, I was involved in gymnastics, and that was my life. So started off quite early in gymnastics, and by the time I was in first grade, I was on the team, and that meant uh, being at the gym about five nights a week, um, about four hours each night. Wow. That is a commitment Mm -hmm. for a young person, huh? It is, but I loved it. It was, it, I really enjoyed doing it. So no one made me, no one pushed me. It was just something that I was driven to do from the inside. Can I ask you, I, I grew up and I always knew that city in Kentucky as Louisville. Can you tell me when it morphed into Louisville? Cause that's all I hear now. People who are from here originally will typically say Louisville. Okay. And it's just uh, like, mouth gymnastics, I think, if you try to say it Louisville. So I, from being being from Chicago, Louisville just feels a little bit more natural to me. Okay. Cause that's what I'm going with now, Louisville. Cause it sounds yep. like when I watch college <laughs> basketball, it's the Louisville Cardinals. Exactly. And yeah. So that uh, it's morphed into that. So that's what we're going with. Okay. Mm-hmm. So gymnastics is a big part of your life. How about when you get into middle school and high school? Was it something that you were still participating in? And, and as you started to reach that age, what were you starting to think about as maybe Maybe doing with yourself as far as college um, and maybe a job in the future? Yeah. By the time I reached high school, so my freshman year of high school, I ended up quitting competitive gymnastics. There was uh, a bit of difference of opinion between my coach and I. I didn't want to compete for one year. I just wanted to be able to increase my level of difficulty on a lot of the tricks that I was doing. Um, I'm quite tall, so I would go through a growth spurt and then have to catch my strength and center of gravity back up to that. And then I'd grow again. And it was just at that point, you know, I was still growing in ninth grade and um, I Wanting to take that year off, he didn't agree. He -hmm. said, compete or quit. So I quit. Okay. And it was a hard decision. And I suddenly had 20 hours of free time a week. Sure, for a teenager, which is rough, right? (laughs) Right. But um, the great thing that came out of that is one of the local gyms had heard that I had quit. And they asked me if I would be interested in coaching gymnastics. Terrific. And so I went over there and I began coaching and I just fell in love with it. It, I loved working with younger girls. I loved encouraging them, walking alongside them. Um, You know, yeah, all of it. It was just a really great experience. Little did you know that those, you know, instincts that you uh, were, were getting through coaching would someday lead you after you had your accident into doing what you're doing today. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So let's let's go there. Talk about the circumstances. Tell us about the day that changed your life. Where were you? What happened? And what were you thinking initially? The morning of my injury, um, I'll actually back up back up to the night before. I was spending the night with my best friend. My parents were in Florida on va- a family vacation that I didn't want to go on because I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And we had a cheerleading competition the following week. So I'd started to cheer with my free time and uh, was spending the night with my best friend. And we were sitting in the pool and she had told me about a woman who was at her church and she had had a brainstem stroke and was paralyzed. Wow. And we were talking about, well, what would it be like to be paralyzed? 
Oh, you, would you know how to move something and you just can't? What does what is it like not to be able to feel? And we just kind of chatted about it for a little bit. And I got out of the pool, got up, you know, went to bed and went to cheerleading practice the next morning. And that morning uh, we were practicing outside. We would typically practice inside, but because we had that competition coming up and it was going to be outside, uh, people wanted to practice outside. And the grass was wet that morning. So as I was taking off for a round off back handspring layout, something that was quite easy for me, uh, my feet slipped out from underneath me and I didn't have enough height or rotation to make it all the way around. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I ended up landing face first in the grass. Ugh. I heard a pop and I I wasn't able to move my arms or my legs. Mm. Uh, I heard my friends. Yeah, I heard my friends run over and ask, are you okay? And I just immediately told them, don't move me. I've broken my neck. Mm. You know, it's it's so eerie. And, and so many people that I speak with all sort of have the same um, the same feelings. I remember when I had my fall down a flight of steps, I heard my father coming down and I just remember, I didn't really have much lung capacity. I just remember whispering to him, don't touch me, don't move me because, wow. you know, you think that you could make things worse if you, if you do move somebody or try to, you know, put them right side up. And so, um, I know exactly right. what you're, what you're talking about. I, I can tell you, I just, people will ask me, did you feel pain? What was it like? Did you have a lot of pain? I said, no, it was just this eerie numbness. Is that sort of what you felt? Right. I felt nothing. So nothing from my neck down. Mm. Um, could not move anything, feel anything, nothing. In fact, I remember at some point someone went to get some ice from the school cafeteria and I knew that they had placed it on the back of my neck, but I couldn't figure out why I couldn't feel it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, it's stuff yeah. like that that just uh, and and then in, at any point in your mind did you did you sort of wander back to the conversation that you had with your friend the night before about the brainstem stroke and paralysis? Not at that point. I think I was just I'm pretty good at kicking into okay, we need to do something mode. What's next? And my best friend's mom was there, and she came over and started asking. Uh, she had worked in an ER at at one point as mm-hmm. a technician. And she was just asking, can you feel here? Can you feel this? And I just finally said, Marianne, I think we need to pray. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it wasn't good. I yeah. didn't know what it was. I don't even know where I learned that you shouldn't move someone who had sustained a spinal cord injury. Yeah. But uh, I think it was a good thing that I did. Absolutely. Especially someone as young as you were. You were a teenager at the time, right? Right. Yeah. So I don't know if I had learned it at the gym at some point. Um, I don't remember any conversation about it, but yeah. So where were you taken? What was uh, your exact injury? And were you given a prognosis by your doctors early on? Right. So uh, I was loaded up into the ambulance and my best friend's mom, Marianne, uh, stepped into the ambulance with me. And uh, once again, I'm just, you know, in fix it mode going, okay, um, the insurance card is at home, you know, in the kitchen on the shelf. And, Oh, can you call the guys? Because I won't be at band practice tonight. I don't think. Oh, good grief. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So by the time I went to, uh, first uh, an adult hospital, so it was suburban hospital and, you know, they said that they were going to have to cut off my clothes. And I was like, please don't cut off my shorts. I just saved up the money for them. Please, do you have to? <laughs> These are my favorites. And exactly. Yep. Oh, boy. And I don't remember much after that. They must have sedated me. But I do remember being loaded back up into the ambulance, going down to Coast Air Children's Hospital. And really the next thing I remember is the neurosurgeon coming in and saying, you won't ever walk again. Oh, God. And my response was, I know, I told you that. (laughs) I told them I had a spinal cord injury. So it's like, well, yeah. (laughs) Um, What I didn't realize is the impact that a spinal cord injury has. Hmm. 
So you can have that head knowledge, but not understand the impact of a spinal cord injury. Yeah. There's so many different branches and so many different things that, that it entails. Boy, that neurosurgeon, that was your introduction to him. That's exactly what he told you. That's the first time I remember meeting him. So, I mean, my first memory of him. So he could have been around my parents previously. Yeah. Well, I've, um, I've had so many doctors over the years and some of them were great. Some of them were not so great. And uh, this would have been a guy that I would have said had the bedside manner of a bedpan uh, is something <laughs> that I've sort of quoted over the years. And boy, yeah. what a what a thing to tell somebody initially. I mean, geez, you could. Well, but I but guess yeah, time, you want to know. It was 1989. Yeah. So things have changed so much. I mean, statistically, he was correct. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, 99% chance that I would never walk again. Mm -hmm. And I I think there is a valid point of telling people the facts. Right. Um, yeah, he did say that there's a 1% chance. Um, and yeah, I did hold on to that for the first couple of years, but at the same time, I think there needs to be a balance because I do see so many people and things are very different now. You know, they didn't do surgery on me for a whole week. They put me in traction. Yeah. And I didn't have um, the surgery until a week later. So I sustained a C6-7 injury. Okay. And yeah, so it's, Things have changed so much. Um, There are so many incomplete injuries now, as you well know. And um, I just, I've seen such a change in the care and, you know, having surgery within the first 24 hours has a big impact on the outcome as well. It does. I I didn't have surgery for at least a week after as well. I wanted to let the swelling. uh, Exactly. Yeah, let the swelling go down and. You know, that was, mine was 1992. So I'm not too far off from when, from when you had your accident. Now you mentioned your family and your friends, how important was their support for you from the start? It was invaluable. And uh, yeah, my friends were up there. I went to a small Christian um, high school, um, school in general, it was K through 12 at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were so supportive. Um, our community, the community of Louisville was absolutely incredible. Uh, my family was really supportive. So I was very, very grateful. I am very grateful. I don't know as a 16 year old that I was grateful at the time. Uh, looking back, I can be incredibly grateful for the support that I have because I know not everyone has that support. Yeah, it's true. I can remember when I was rehabbing at the hospital that there were some folks that were there that didn't have anybody to come and visit them. And it right. was it was tough. I can't imagine, especially now in this day um, with, with COVID. I know at Kessler, where I did my rehabilitation, they're not let, even letting family and friends in. So people are, right. uh, their lives have just been completely changed and they're trying to come to grips with all of this and they're by themselves with in no their room. Support, no peer mentors, nothing. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know as to whether I would have been able to do that. Um, it's, yeah. my, my hats are off to them. I mean, I don't know how it's being done, but um it is the way of the world right now. But so you're, you had great support from your family and friends and, and it sounds like uh, you're a religious person. How important was that in your life? My faith was really important and it still is. I think, you know, it's so easy to get discouraged. And so just knowing that I can't do this in my own strength. And so just being able to know that, um, God's got my back on this. (laughs) So when I can't do it, um, just to lean into that. Yeah offer it up, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now we know that rehabbing a spinal cord injury is certainly not easy. What was your mindset that first day that you, that they wheeled you into the gym, knowing that you had been such a good gymnast and, and, and knew what exercising and working out was like? The first day I can just remember being a little confused. I mean, I don't even know that I knew what occupational therapy was. So okay, what does this even look like? What will I be able to do? You know, still in, I never had a halo, but you know, in a neck brace and just not knowing what to expect. So, um, 
being, you know, given a sliding board, not being given one, but having the physical therapist help me scoot over onto the mat for the first time and just little by little, you know, learning new things. And I think coming from an athletic background, it was just another workout. So I think that really was in my favor. Yes, that had to help. Absolutely. Right. Right. That I, I do feel it did. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. And you mentioned occupational therapy. I had no idea what that was either. Okay. Right. And and you see, yeah. you see like in television, when somebody with one of the leads in a TV show is in a car wreck, it's always everybody piles around the bed and they're all have that pensive look on their face asking the doctor, well, is so-and-so ever going to walk again? And is so-and-so uh-huh. going to, all they want to know is if people are going to walk again. They don't, No, you know, hey, is the person going to be able to feed themselves and get their clothes on and brush their teeth? Exactly. Yeah. So, so what was that like when you finally found out what OT was all about? And almost like, you know, for you and me that, that I have a lot of trouble with my arms and hands, learning how to do all those things all over again was, was much harder. Right. So I, I know for me, we just started off with little things, whether it be weights or, you know, learning how to brush my teeth. Um, maybe how to pick up a cup. But the the biggest thing for me came when I had someone come and visit me. And I I honestly don't know how the connections were made, but uh, her name was Lois. And I was told that I had a visitor and a woman in her mid-20s pushed her wheelchair into my room. And I was at a rehab facility where I was the only person with a spinal cord injury. Mm. And... So this is my the first person I had met with a spinal cord injury. And she introduced herself and she began telling me that she had been in college and fell off a ladder and broke her neck um, at around C7. So we have very similar in- injuries. And how she had gone back to school, was getting her RN, was driving, uh, was playing some wheelchair sports and all that was great. But she pulled out a tube of mascara (laughs) (laughs) and she suddenly had my full attention. (laughs) I was a girly girl. She was speaking your language, Jenny. She definitely was. Oh, great. And that tube of mascara gave me hope. Yeah. Something as small as that, right? Absolutely. It was like, okay, I can put on my mascara. Yeah. And so that's when I really worked with occupational therapy. We developed some splints that I could put on my mascara so I could, you know, put on, um, yeah, just learn to put on my makeup. And that was, that was a massive step for me. You Um, had an image to keep up. Absolutely. (laughs) As a 16 year old girl, definitely. Without a doubt. And that leads me to my next question. Back to school, but now in a wheelchair. What was that like for you physically and more importantly, mentally? So physically, what was really interesting because of the rehab facility I was at, I was only about three miles from my school. So my teachers were coming up after school to keep me because my injury was in July. So by the time school started, they started coming up so I wouldn't get behind for school. And then I was in rehab about two and a half months. So I guess maybe a month and a half, two months in, this would never happen now due to liability. But I was allowed to go to class two days, like two classes a day. Okay. And I think that was really, really good because it kept life going and moving forward. And I had to learn how to write. There weren't laptop computers. <laughs> so, True. Sure. you know, uh, just le- relearning how to write, um, push my wheelchair. There is a step up into every single classroom. So having my classmates, you know, butt me up a step uh, to get me situated. So from that perspective, it was good, both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but emotionally, I was pretty shut down. Yeah. I just not know how to deal with what was going on. And so I didn't. Interesting. Um, that was my way of dealing with it was not. So I just dug back into school and I was actually going into my junior year, but I ended up graduating and cause I just wanted out Yeah. and graduated and started college. Right. And where did you go to college? University of Louisville. So All right. That's what you're talking about. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, 
I love watching. Uh, I'm a big college basketball fan. And All right. I went to Providence College in Rhode Island. And when I was a freshman, Rick Pitino was our coach. And so yeah. um, <laughs> he may have been there when, when you were a student. Was he the coach at that time? No, no, not at all. Nope. He was still over at UK. Oh, right. Oh, so, yeah. How about that? He goes from yep. one to the other. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Yep. He and, wasn't liked in about 90% of the state. That did that, true, so. true. <laughs> So tell me, how would how was college life for you in a wheelchair? Did it did were there any um, special things? I know there probably wasn't that dragon dictate for computers or anything, as you said. There were no laptops, so was that really a, a tough challenge? There was actually dragon dictate for like a full size computer, a PC, mm -hmm. a desktop, but. I was not an oral processor, and to me, that just didn't work. Yeah. So to me, typing and writing worked just fine, mm -hmm. and it still does to this day. Um, I have I do dictate text messages or something every once in a while, but for the most part, you know, I can type it out, and to me, it's just as quick because it's. I don't know that I did a whole lot of typing before my injury. Yeah. So. Um, plus I'm also a very visual learner. So writing notes out or rewriting my notes, uh, is a big part of me being able to learn and study. So I think that was all part of the process for me. Mm -hmm. School took longer. Uh, I didn't have the option to do all nighters. So I had to plan well, Yeah. but once again, going back to what I learned in gymnastics, I had to be able to be really good at time management because I would come home from school, eat a snack, do my homework, go to the gym, finish up any homework, go to bed. And so once again, those time management skills came into play Yeah, where I just had to plan ahead and know, okay, I'm going to have to go to bed at 830 because, you know, the bowel program. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> and there's just stuff that life just takes longer with a spinal cord injury. And especially at this point, I was not independent in anything. Yeah. I had really severe spasticity. Mm -hmm. And so even transferring, I was not able to do on my own because it was just my spasms were that severe. Yeah. So did you live in the dorm or were you at home? No, I was at home. Okay. So that was, that was difficult watching all of my friends go off to college while yeah. I stayed at home. But there were a few friends, um, the guys that I was in a band in with. Mm -hmm. So I actually played piano growing up as well. And I played in a Christian rock band. Nice. And so those guys were going to the same college. So for the first year, um, they would pick me up and take me to school, you know, throw me in the vehicle, help me transfer, <laughs> put my chair in the back. Nice. And it, it was good. Um, once again, it worked out well. Mm -hmm. Um, the following year, my grandma started driving me. Um, so, um, I can't remember where we were headed, but you had asked me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I was asking if you had lived in the dorms and whatnot, but that's cool that you had. Right. So I was at home. Right. It's, yeah. isn't the hardest part about all of this, Jenny, being dependent on other people. I mean, I can remember Absolutely. when I first got out and I couldn't drive and I thought, oh my God, I'm stuck in my house. I'm 24 years old and my yeah. friends are out and I want to go and I want to go, but I don't want to have my mommy drop me off, you know, like in right. high school, mom drop me off like three blocks from school. So they don't have to see me with you kind of a thing. And so, um, well, that was nice that you had, had friends and, uh, and your grandmother that would take you, but, um, it's that dependence. That's, uh, that's really the hardest part about all it, of this. It is the most difficult and yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm grateful that my injury happened at 16 because I was so stinking independent at that point. Yeah. Had I been out and already in college, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have to come back home mm -hmm. and be dependent. Yeah. Without and, question. Yeah. So, you know, I am grateful for that. But, you know, with doing the bowel program or being reliant on bladder and bowel, you know, for someone else to be helping you with that. I can just remember, you know, that the nurses teaching my mom how to do the bowel program. Sure. And I was mortified. I it know. was horrifying. And I would just tune out. It's like 
this isn't happening. This cannot be happening right now. Outer body, right? It's like the twilight zone. Absolutely. I used to think of the same exactly. thing when I would have to have my mother or my sister or my father catheterize me early on. It was oh. like good grief. And I had, uh, I had some friends, like some great, great friends that I grew up with who I would travel with to, you know, I had a, a college roommate who was a professional basketball player. And so he would have tickets for us. So my buddy and I would go. And at that time I had to be calf two or three times a day. And my best friend uh-huh. would just do it. And it, it was like, it didn't matter. It took 30 seconds. We didn't think about what was happening, but I mean, I'm indebted to him for, for, I mean, right. I couldn't believe cause I couldn't go without someone like that. So for right. us to have friends and family like that, to help out in such a, you know, personal, personal way is um, just amazing. And you wouldn't yeah. want to think that people at our age had to think about stuff like that. But unfortunately, uh, having an SCI thrusts that upon us. It um, absolutely does. So now, yeah. Jenny, is this around the time when you started thinking that whatever you had thought about planning to do with your life was sort of changing? And uh, tell us, when did Jenny Rolls On start to come about? Well, that wasn't until a lot later. So when I started college, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I just started taking, you know, the general studies that everyone had to take. And the positive thing was that I liked everything. The negative thing was that I liked everything (laughs) (laughs) except psychology. And so it made it really difficult because I hadn't had a clear vision of what I wanted to do when I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept taking classes, took science, um, really enjoyed science, math, history, religious studies, Spanish, you know, so I I enjoyed a lot of different things, Um, but I was really looking at biology or chemistry. So I took a chemistry lab in order to move on in that, and it was just an awful experience. The Disability Resource Center at the school had provided someone to be my hands, Mm-hmm. And just for safety purposes, because I wasn't able to hold any of the chemicals properly. You didn't want to light the Bunsen burner on fire, right? Or myself on fire. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Spill caustic acid all over my Yeah, face. that's not all a good idea. Yeah. But it was the teaching assistant that ended up helping me, or the graduate assistant. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he would not explain what he was doing or what step he was on. He would just do it. And so there was no comprehension on my side what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I was completely out of control. And that's another thing about a spinal cord injury. So much control is taken away from you. Yeah. And that was, I refused to ever take another chemistry lab. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not majoring in biology or chemistry at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know why I gave up so easily on that because normally I would have pushed through a little bit more, but I went in and like, what will get me out the fastest? Yeah. And she said psychology and I almost died because that was one class. <laughs> you hated I that. Just hated. Oh and no. So I started cranking out some psychology classes and I was able to graduate. And it was during that time where I still was needing to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, I was able to begin driving again three years after my injury. And that just opened up the world. So I got a summer job one year as a call center person. Oh my gosh, that was just not good. <laughs> I, I knew I did not want to do that. Um, and then the following year, I started working with kids at a summer program. And that was a great fit. Now, was that able-bodied kids, disabled-bodied, or both? Able-bodied. Okay. So, elementary school age. Okay. Yeah. And so, just little by little, I was being able to find my previous skills where they fit in now with my abilities. Mm -hmm. And one of those, I started volunteering at the Crisis and Information Center just to get some basic skills in psychology or counseling. And it was there that I found out about the master's program in counseling psychology. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up getting my master's in counseling psychology. And while I was still getting my graduate degree, I was tutoring. And once again, it was just that click of, I love this. 
And it was coming alongside someone, encouraging them uh, when things were rough um, and just like gymnastics was. And so I think that's something really important for people who are new, newly injured to understand that you may not do be able to do exactly what you were doing before, but those gifts and those abilities that we have can be transferred. Yes. And I think that was a, it was a long learning process for me, but to this day, you know, what I'm doing now, I support and encourage coworkers who live and work overseas. Mm -hmm. And so we still have that thread of what I was doing at 16 um, is very, very similar. It looks very different, but it's still using those same skills. Yeah. And I know that public speaking is not for everyone, but <laughs> obviously, you know, sometimes you take courses in school. I remember some of my roommates were mortified when they had to get up in front of a class uh, and and they would rather do anything but do that. Um, you seem to be, you took to that like a duck to water, it seems. And not immediately. Not immediately. Well, Definitely now you, not. you certainly- no, I am so much more confident and- vocal now than I was at the time of my injury. And even 20 years ago, I would say. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think part of that was just regular nerves or was part of that the fact that, okay, here I am in a wheelchair and I don't move like everybody else and people are going to be looking at me. They're going to be looking at my chair and I'm different. Was that part of it? I think there there were multiple layers of it. So I think the first part was at 16, I was soft-spoken, was not going to speak my mind. With a spinal cord injury, you have to, you are put into a position where you have to speak your mind at times um, for your own safety or just for your needs to be met. So I think there is a process. And, and then also just needing to educate people, hey, I'm having dysreflexia and being able to explain this is a serious situation. I know you're a medical doctor, but if you don't know what AD is, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you better find out. You. Right. And I, I think the biggest step for me was I was able to represent Kentucky at the Miss Wheelchair America pageant in 1998. And being able to meet 26 other women with disabilities was so incredible. Mm. Um, I was able to talk with other women for the very first time, this was nine years after my injury, about bladder and bowel and getting dressed. And I met another quad there. Her name is Leslie. And she was independent. And I didn't even know this was possible yeah. as a quad. And it was just a great experience. And just seeing their confidence, their self-confidence, their strong voices, I think it gave me a voice. Yeah. It gave you a lift. And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So just little by little, um, a year after that, I had tendon transfer surgeries done on my hands that gave me more function in my hands. Mm -hmm. And then I started playing sports and sports was another huge step in growing yeah. um, with my disability, I guess you could say, sure. um, and accepting it and feeling confident about it. Um and just step by step, it was definitely a process. And then, yeah, it's it's empowering, it right? Definitely it, it, a process. Yeah, yes. and, and and then wanting to be able to give that to someone else. I think that's the main point. Main like why I'm willing to speak is wanting someone else to be empowered. Yes. Yeah, know that they can do it as well. And so this is where Jenny rolls on comes from. It does. So I ended up, um, I was invited to write for a medical supply company and that was really great. I really enjoyed the process of that. And even just being able to work out or work through things that happened during my injury and stuff that, you know, still happens on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. and enjoyed it so much. It was like, I think I need to do something about this. And then I just really kind of got the nudge. You need to write down your story. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Thinking, nobody born, wants to hear you, my story. You probably right? hear like all the time. Oh, you need to write a book. And I'm like, 
no. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I will never do that. Well, yeah. Once again, never say never. I already have so, a title for my book, Jenny. I'll tell you if it ever comes out because I'm central cord syndrome. So I have little to no use of my upper body, arm, hands and fingers. So right. my book is going to be called Look Ma, No Hands. Ah, I love it. Dun, 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 right? So go yeah. on. You were saying. Yeah. So I ended up writing a manuscript mm -hmm. and I turned it into an agent. He's like, what's your platform? And I'm like, what's a platform? <laughs> <laughs> so I've had a lesson in building a platform. And that's where Jenny Smith rolls on comes from is building that platform, this uh, ability to, you know, the website, uh, the YouTube channel, um, all of that is to build that platform for the manuscript. Oh, so, well, yeah. I tell you, you'll hear when you when you listen to the podcast in full, uh, I did in my introduction, I mentioned how uh, Jenny Rolls On is a one-stop shopping outlet for folks that have had spinal cord injuries and their families to, you know, to learn more about stuff, um, to get some questions answered, some resources, uh, and to know that it is not the end of the world and you can still continue on and live a great life. Uh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and along those lines, the YouTube channel. Now, I was told a long time ago that I have a beautiful face for radio. So oh. I, I don't, uh, I don't dare do the YouTube stuff. I'm more of a podcasting guy. Um, tell us how the YouTube channel came about. And I see that you do some fun stuff with quadly cooking. Um, and, uh, those are some fun segments that I've seen. You also do some stuff, uh, like how does a quad put their contacts in, but then you tackle such stuff as, as you mentioned, autonomic dysreflexia and that bugaboo for all of us spinal cord injured folks, bowel and bladder. H how do you choose your, uh, your subjects? I think a lot of it is what am I seeing on social media where there's misinformation I think even within the spinal cord injury community, there can be a lack of education or, or misinformation about some topics. And it's just wanting to get that out there. The other side of that is the able-bodied population needs to know this stuff just as much because I want my circle of friends. I want a, someone who's newly injured. I want their friends and their family to have resources so that they understand what's going on. And, you know, we didn't have that because there wasn't the internet when we were injured. Right. So because it's, it is such a great resource, if we can put that into the hands of people and make either for the person who is injured or their friends and family, I think that's really important. It because is. One, I, I really, one thing I really like to talk about is the impact of a spinal cord injury on those around us. Yes, we are impacted, but our injury impacts those around us just as much. Mm -hmm. So my mom, um, it impacted my mom hugely. I, you know, def a mom is going to be impacted when she's told, you know, your daughter's never going to walk again. But she had to go back to work within two weeks of my injury because our insurance was under her. Ugh. And, you know, of course, my dad was had to go back to work as well. My brother just kind of got left behind. He mm -hmm. was 14. Ugh. And for years, I was just like, oh my gosh, I've destroyed, I destroyed my brother's life. Oh, boy. <laughs> and he was like, oh man, I got away with some serious crap. Right <laughs> oh, <laughs> but so at the same time, he was immediately responsible for doing laundry, for doing cooking and stuff that he had never had to do before. Yeah. It really does affect friend. everybody. You know, it really does. Yeah. There's, there's just so many layers to it. I, I like to say that, um, you know, you and I as the patient, we're the one in the bed. We're the one in, in therapy trying to, to, you know, fight to get our lives back. And then there are our parents and our friends and brothers and sisters sitting out in the in the hallways with that, all they all have that same look on their face. Like, could somebody please give me the license plate of the freight train that just ran over our lives? Absolutely. Right. It's it's unbelievable. So they, you know, while they don't feel the numbness and the and have the physical, you know, limitations that we do, it, it really does affect so many people. It does. And I think, you know, I've been doing more with trauma and grief and loss. And so much of that is 
is to properly grieve mm-hmm. losses. Yeah. But you don't have time to grieve that first year or two because it's just one thing after another. First, you're in surgery, then you're in, you know, regular hospital, then you're moved to rehab, then you're suddenly at home and having to figure out all of life and deal with medical bills. And there's no time in it's some true. cases to it's really true. grieve. Yeah. And I would love to see a program of some sort for one year after, you know, someone's injury, one or two years post of, Hey, let's talk about this. You know, this is what I do at my job is I get to debrief people, um, every few years and just say, Hey, what's going on the past two years? What's been rough? What's been good. And would that not just be a great thing to be able to do with someone who's one or two years post-injury? Oh, it definitely would. Sure. Give them space to say, well, first of all, it's crappy. Yeah. But you know what? I got to meet some really cool people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because there is a balance. There is. Jenny, tell us how busy are you with this? Take us through a day, a week, a month. I know trying to to come up with a day for this, um, you know, took a little took a little um, work because you're a very busy woman. Yes, yeah, so I work thirty two hours a week for my full time job, and that took some humility to ask for thirty two hours a week, and because everyone else works forty, but mm-hmm. I knew with my injury, life just takes longer. Right. And in order to be able to do my job effectively and stay healthy, I needed to work fewer hours. And it was really one of the best decisions I ever made. Mm -hmm. So Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, I typically try to keep open for doctor's appointments and then um, playing sports. Um, I love uh, rowing and rugby. I played tennis for a while. And so it gives me that balance. So, um, but then more of the Jenny Smith rolls on stuff has, has come up. And so that's been filling it, filling in all of those crevices, let's just say. And um, it's full, but it's enjoyable work. I do enjoy it. Now, what is your, what is your 32 hour a week job? I I thought that Jenny rolls on was sort of the main hub. What, what is it that you do for your regular gig as they like to say? So I work for an international nonprofit organization, and we have about 300 people that work overseas in about 40 different countries. And I stay in touch with our workers to make sure that they're doing well and support them emotionally, physically, and spiritually as they work overseas. Very cool. Yeah, Very it really cool. is. I work with some great people. Oh, that's isn't that the greatest thing where you get to work it is. Uh, with people that you not only respect, but uh, that you get along with and you like? Absolutely. So what is next for Jenny Smith as far as, you know, the the website? I know you're big on social media. I see you posting all the time. What is the next thing that you'd like to conquer? I would say the next thing is, well, you know, COVID happened. So no one expected 2020 to happen. I had just graduated Pro Speaker Academy, was ready to jump into doing more professional speaking when 2020 hit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in the process of I, the speaking world is still not quite waking up yet. So that's going to be a process, but preparing for that, hopefully getting a few things together, but then also getting my book published. So I think we're getting closer to that. Good. So Well, yeah. that means that's a tease for everybody out there in the uh, podcast world. <laughs> that is sort of a uh, primer for what is to come for Jenny Smith. And Jenny, one last one for me, and it's usually the question I leave off with, uh, with all of my guests is, um, if I could snap my fingers right now, and you would be completely able-bodied again, what is the first thing that you would do? This is just like one of those trick questions, I think. <laughs> I, I think, because I have to remember, I'm not 16. So. Right, true. But honestly, I think going through a, going for a walk through the woods or going for a walk on the beach. Yeah. Um, you know, that the sensation of sand in between your toes and just hearing it and not having to have someone with you, I think 
either one of those would be absolutely glorious. Yeah. You know, I have to tell you, my initial one is I would get uh, my headphones on or my earbuds that they have now. They used to have Walkman back in the day when we were kids. Uh I would get my sneakers on and go out for a nice long run just so that I could get that sweat rolling down my face. And and, uh, that would be uh, one that I would do. I've heard some folks say that uh, I had one friend tell me he would rent a hotel room. He's a quad now. He's a a high quad. He would rent a hotel room for himself uh, so that he could sleep in the bed and roll around all night long and then uh, get up in the morning and and use the facilities, stand in front of the toilet and go to the bathroom and then take as many showers as he wanted to without anybody being in the way. Oh, absolutely. A good, long, hot shower with anyone around. Right? Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? Oh, boy. Traveling, I really like that idea. Just going on a worldwide trip and not having to have someone with me. I mean, I've traveled a lot, but being able to do that without someone tagging along. Yeah. Wonderful. Simple pleasures, right, Jenny? It really is. And I think even now we have to remember that. Yes. Um, Before we spoke, I just needed a moment to chill. And so I grabbed a piece of my famous Dove Dark Chocolate, which is my little indulgence. I'm like, okay, let's just savor this moment for a second and deep breath. And then, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) So That's it. Simple Simple pleasures, pleasures. no doubt. Well, Jenny Smith, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And not only that, for doing all that you do for the spinal cord injured community on social media and in your neighborhood. Um, It's it's something that is needed and it is well received, I must say. Thank you. People can find me at JennySmithRollsOn.com or my YouTube channel is JennySmithRollsOn. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this week's episode. Let me again thank Jenny Smith for joining me. Do look her up on social media. She is a rock star. And please join me next week when my guest will be Charles Fleischer, who back in 1988 injured his spinal cord after being thrown from a vehicle which had been driving at speeds of 100 miles per hour. Charles is now a highly experienced speaker and an entrepreneur who has spoken to over 50,000 people during his career, as well as having written a book, The Secret of Difficulties, Four Steps to Turn Tragedies into Opportunities. This is a show you will not want to miss. Special thank you shout out to Chris Parapesco at Lime Studios NYC for mixing the show. Great job as always, my friend. And until next week, my name is John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't care.